everybody. Welcome back to Exquisite Watches, episode 2. Uh, we are back here talking about more TV shows and movies that you should watch during quarantine. I am Tommy Maxey, joined by my co-host, Ben Maxey. Again, I am here as well. <laughs> and we're going to start off this podcast by talking about Clone Wars Season 7. What, what a season this has been. You know, I really haven't watched that much of the Clone Wars. I've never really been that into the the show, but this last arc has been exquisite, some would say. I'm more of a bigger Clone Wars fan than Ben is. I've watched the whole series only once, so it's a very long show, but this last season has really shown the the best of the show. The The last arc itself has been one of the greatest finales of TV show history. Okay, now you're getting a little crazy there, kid. <laughs> this kid's calling out a best finale. I mean, it was very, very good. But I would go out on a limb and say that it's only successful because of how good Revenge of the Sith is. That's what I would say, personally. So yeah, the final arc of the season takes place at the Siege of Mandalore, where uh, Ahsoka, Rex, and the uh, split division of the 501st of 332nd, they're basically trying to take Mandalore and try to capture Maul because he's consolidating his power on Mandalore. So they're trying to stop him and, like, capture him, you know, bring him to the Republic so he can stop. And they eventually capture Maul, but when they go back to Coruscant, uh, Palps gives out Order 66. And it's a whole, just, it's a, an emotional roller coaster, really, of, you know, seeing Rex and the other clones that just fought for Ahsoka, like, a couple hours ago, try to kill her. It's, it's incredible, you know, to see that. See, I would argue that, again, it's better only because of how good Revenge of the Sith is. I mean, that movie is, like, pivotal in our childhood as being just one of the best movies to watch. And we just love how great that is and how ripping of a scene it is when Order 66 is given. That it's, like, it tears your heart out. And then seeing it just from every time you see it in any Star Wars media, Order 66 always, it just... Hits you. Hits right in the heart. And I think it's only as good as it is because of how good episode 3 is. See, I think this is only good as it is because of the connection that we have with Ahsoka and Rex. That, like, we've, like, seen their characters grow over, like, six seasons. And it's really incredible how they change. You know, Rex goes from, like, a by-the-books clone to a more, like, compassionate guy who understands, you know, like, human emotion and, like, tries to understand himself a little more. Oh, wow, character development, woo. <laughs> I would argue that, say, in episode three, Revenge of the Sith, we don't necessarily have a connection to Jedi, like, Ki-Adi Mundu or Plu Koon, but we're still emotionally impacted when we see them dying. So I'd, I'd say, even though it is, yes, a... It's an emotional roller coaster. It's only as good as it is because we know what happens around the galaxy because of the far superior Revenge of the Sith movie. The only emotion uh, I get from Order 66 is joy seeing all those Jedi get killed. <laughs> okay, kid. Clone boys for life. So, yeah, this season has really shown the best. It's The animation for it's incredible, and the the last shot of the, the TV show is really great, seeing, uh, spoilers, Darth Vader and, like, the Empire go to the crash ship that they were, you know, that they were on, and then Vader just picking up Ahsoka's lightsaber and just out there in the snow, it's, that's a really great shot. It was. I, I would, uh, I would say even the episode before this, the penultimate of the series, it kind of penultimate, they kind of 
merged together. I think these would be very interesting to watch one right after another now that they're all out. But um, I think it has some of the best action in the Star Wars because there was a scene right after Order 66 was given and all the clones are firing and Ahsoka is in the center of just like a mayhem of blaster fire and it is it is absolutely outstanding. The amount of animation work that was put in is probably hours and hours and hours and hours and it tell you can see it's just amazing yeah also another character that's impacted by this by this uh or in this arc is darth maul who um he basically he gets captured and then gets put on the ship and then like when order 66 comes down ahsoka you know gets away from the clones and she actually frees maul to try to cause some chaos to uh escape chaos is a ladder some would say little finger true point Game of true point so yeah, Clone Wars Season 7, uh, it's on Disney Plus right now, all with, oh god, how many episodes, all of them are on there right now, you should give it a watch, it'll take you like a solid like, week or two to get through, it's a good time uh, waster. I would just recommend the last few episodes if you're just a casual Star Wars fan, but there's some other good arcs in the show, it's not, it's not the worst, it's not bad, but... Yeah, I would say the, like... My second favorite arc in Clone Wars is the uh, Umbara campaign arc. That's in season five. That is highly good. recommend that. I would yeah. All right, so our next talking point is going to be about uh, the Narnia movies from like two thousand five. Absolutely amazing! Can't get enough of these movies. When I was a kid, I wanted to be a knight in Narnia more than anything. That was just so cool. The armor. This is like it was like Game of Thrones for kids, man. It really was. It was that. It was the medieval fighting and the. The mythical element to the the show. Oh, absolutely amazing. I love the Narnia movies more than anything. Have we read the books? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, books are tough. I love movies. Though. Yeah. But yeah, it's really great to see how like the uh, the relationship between the four uh, the four kids. I forget the Pennywise or something, whatever the last name is. <laughs> the what? The last name of the, the the kids. Oh. Uh, well, it's definitely something, but I can't get it off the top of my head. Uh, yeah, seeing their relationships kind of, because it's really interesting, you know, seeing Peter being the oldest and trying to, like, take control of everyone's lives. I think it, it, the characters lend themselves very well to the story. Yeah. Oh. What? Pevensey, that's what it is. Pevensey. Very, very English last name. But, uh, um, honestly, I think the movie, I mean... Thematically and story-wise, it's fairly simple. Nothing mind-blowing. But I'd say the CGI and the effects of the movie aged tremendously well. I mean, when you watch the last battle sequence, I'd say it compares with, say, Battle of the Bastards. And it even tops some other Game of Thrones battles, which I would argue are the best battles in any media. Yeah. Aslan has he looks really well for you know two thousand five. Yeah, for, for two thousand five, we were very lucky that doesn't look like a pre-rendered like a nightmare. Cat. Yeah, <laughs> it looks outstanding, and just the whole the directing on the battle sequence and the choreography of the fights and everything, absolutely brilliant. Can't yeah. get enough of watching that. I think that battle sequence is so good. The way it sets up with the. The, the armies charging at each other with the heroic music blasting, and you're like, "Wow, this is, just goes this is so into slow mo." Cool. Yeah, and then it zeroes into slow mo, and then you, you kind of get the feeling from like, "Oh, this isn't yeah, the fun hear... valor of war. This is like, oh, this, this is, is a battle. Yeah, this is gonna be terrible." You can hear the heartbeats, you know, in the in the 
the dead silence in the slow motion. And then everything just spins into chaos when the, the two armies collide, and it is absolutely thrilling. I cannot get enough of how amazing this is. Yeah. Also, speaking of Game of Thrones, uh, Gior Mormont, the actor that plays him, makes an appearance in Narnia as uh, Santa Claus. He does. Because... That one took a minute to recognize because he had a pretty <laughs> thick beard. But I heard the voice. I knew the voice. Yeah. Gives Peter his sword, and I'm like, long claw. Wait, oh, no. <laughs> Different wrong sword. Wrong sword. Alright, next uh, movie we're going to talk about is Inglorious Bastards, one of Quentin Tarantino's... Uh, what, how many I'd films say his making? masterpiece. He's uh, got eight films, I think, currently. Isn't he, is he going to make ten, right? He, he has said publicly that he would make ten films and stop. I believe he's either eight or nine, so he's, he's nearing the end, which is terribly sad because he is probably one of the best filmmakers to ever do it yeah glorious bastard is probably one of my favorite Quentin Tarantino movies like i've seen a decent amount i've seen parts of kill bill uh pulp fiction and oh shit what <laughs> but yeah glorious bastards is really one that sticks out to me as uh like a truly great film you know seeing uh the different characters you know how shoshana like how she deals with being a Jew and, uh, you know, Nazi-occupied France and trying to survive that. Hiding, yeah, it's cool. Um, I just love the way Tarantino directs. His stories are not so much based on one- to two-minute scenes where things kind of happen really quick and then you keep jumping around. His scenes are very drawn out and they're very, very well written. So you get this sense of... Like, a, you get a setting, and you get a build, a beginning, middle, and end, and it's just, it's a masterful piece to watch. Um, for example, when they're in the tavern, the the setup of the scene, so a spoilers alert for all of this, everything, every time we talk about in the podcast, but um, when you see the establishing shots inside the tavern, they're all um, focused on something that plays a part later in the, I guess, the battle. The conflict of the yeah, scene. Conflict. Yeah, the conflict of the scene. Uh, so, like, the, there's three whiskey glasses, which is eventually the tell that gives away the spies. There's music, which is the the setup piece for hearing um, the accent differences. So, like, there's just little things that are established in the very beginning of the scene that all, when you rewatch it, come back full circle and it is just brilliant filmmaking shotgun behind the bar <laughs> yeah the shotgun behind the bar i mean everything is set up so perfectly well and then once the per- the curtain gets pulled back and you see what's happening it's just it's as good as it gets yeah probably one of the best characters to come out of a uh tarantino movie is uh christoph waltz playing uh uh, Lams Hando. Hans Landa. Hans yeah. Landa. one I of the <laughs> one of the probably most iconic characters on a Tarantino film. Just the energy that Christoph Waltz brings to any performance is outstanding, but I think this one was just like, it was a way for him to really show how great of an actor he is. Um, yeah. his, his ability to speak multiple languages, um, his wit as an actor, his charm, you can tell he's got, he's got everybody in the palm of his hands at any second in the movie, and it's just absolutely brilliant. Yeah, he's probably well one of the only. Uh, yeah, he's probably one of the only like likable Nazis in the entire film, <laughs> or in like cinema history. No, he's not likable, <laughs> but he's definitely impressionable. 
Yeah, also the uh, another scene that strikes out to me is the the first scene on the farm. You got the little the music going as you see the Beethoven's uh, Seventh Symphony, Symphony, yeah. I think, for Elise or something. I'm not quite sure. I'm not a composer, but it is Beethoven that's playing. Yeah, you see the the Gestapo cards pull up, and then they get that very long, you know, drawn out conversation with the Monsieur Le Petit, and. Uh, uh, I always forget his name, Christoph Waltz. Hans Landa. <laughs> Hans Landa. Come on, man. But yeah, they, so he basically questions him about you know the Jewish families in the area, and he eventually just breaks him down and slowly breaks him down. It is it is suspenseful as anything to watch that. Then yeah, then once he breaks him, he brings in his men and they shoot on Shoshana's family hiding underneath the floorboards. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's great. the scene builds, and builds, and builds, and builds, and builds. There's so much tension, like, it is crazy. You can feel, like, your palms sweating, your chest getting tight, because it's tension in the scene, because you see, halfway through the conversation, that he is hiding the family while he's denying it, and it's just, there's so much, there's so much clever wit in the dialogue as well. Uh, one line in particular is when Colonel Hans Landa is investigating and interrogating Monsieur Lapadite, and he says... Uh, have you heard anything about this family? And he said, only, Mr. Lapidit says, only rumors. And then Hans Landa says, rumors, rumors are great because true or false, they are often revealing. And through that rumor that Mr. Lapidit gives him, he kind of cracks him down. So it's just like brilliant, brilliant dialogue that you just can't get enough of in a Tarantino film. Yeah. It's also a great dialogue with the Americans too. How like when uh, Lieutenant Elder Rain's like it's like uh it's like oh, all right I'm gonna call the bear Jew. It's like hey Donnie. It's like yeah. I wouldn't say that's a revolutionary dialogue, it's just, but it's, it's not just, bad. It's it's, it's not revolutionary, it's but it's just it's simple dialogue that works. It's fun. It's fun. It's a fun movie. You get to watch a bunch of Nazis die, so that's always a good thing. Oh, you get to see Hitler die too. Yeah, always a plus. So that has been uh, Exquisite Watches Episode 2. I'm Tommy Maxey. I'm Ben. And uh, we're out. Mm-hmm.